guys, what's going on, podcasters? You are listening to a brand new podcast where we are going to talk movies, 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 and film. <laughs> what's the difference? You'll find out on this show. Uh, guys, I am JTE. You might know me from JTE Movie Thinks. I used to have my own podcast years ago uh, where I would have different guests on and we'd just talk about the last film they watched. And I had a YouTube channel where I also just did reviews and talked about all the big releases and the big fall stuff and all the Oscar stuff. But at the end of the day, I stopped doing YouTube videos because I really wanted to get into just film discussion on a deeper level. And I really do feel like podcast is the best form for that. I really want to get into these reviews. There's two movies this year that really want me to come back to podcasting. One of them, and they're on two totally different spectrums. There was Jungle Cruise. Sometimes you leave a theater and you just want to unleash <laughs> what you hated about this movie. And then there's times where you see something like Pig. A return of form for me for Nicolas Cage back to his Academy Award, you know, level of films. And, I, you know, I haven't really had an outlet like this since quarantine, really. I think quarantine, I did a couple stream yards here and there. And I did a couple YouTube videos, but I'm excited to get back into podcasting, but I did not want to do it alone. So I brought <laughs> across the globe the best <laughs> reviewers I could find. I searched every corner of the earth and I found two of them on the other side of the earth. Uh, that's right. Uh, Jacob Blunded and Taylor Robinson. Guys, are you ready to do some podcasting? I am so ready to do some podcasting. This year has been so fascinating for the kind of movies we've gotten, both on the good and the bad side of the spectrum. So I'm very, very, very excited. Yeah, I'm super excited for this, uh, especially considering I've been very much in the minority with a lot of movies this year. I've definitely, without intending to, because I've normally someone who's very much along the same lines as where the popul the popular opinion, pop yeah, is, popular yeah. zeitgeist is that yeah. it's like, oh no, this is okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the movie. Uh, this year, definitely not. I have definitely become more I'm, I'm guessing pessimistic towards movies and hollywood at the moment so beginning um, of the year you had a bad streak where we left about five movies in a row where you just wanted to punch something oh yeah where I, I you had heard positive things and you were just like what did i just watch yeah I, I i went on a really bad streak but it makes it so much worth it when you get that movie and it just comes in and it hits you in that moment and you just go, this is why I love movies. This is why I fell in love with cinema. And you just, and yeah, you do. You fall in love with cinema. And, and uh, that's happened a few times again for me this year, where I've been able to, I've walked out of a movie and gone, that's why. That's why I put up with it. Or every, that's why I put up with everything else, with the Halloween kills, with the jungle cruises with all these terrible movies that I just do not like and are really tough runs at the movies. And then you walk out of something like Dune or the last duel and you're like, that's why, that's why I put up with this. So yeah, it, it's been an interesting year. Yeah. You know, as a, I think any film lover could say, like, I think if you're lucky, you see two, maybe three great films a year. Uh, and, you know, if it's a great year, you get more than that. I remember the year No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood came out in the fall. And it was like, I think I just saw two masterpieces in one year. That's rare. It's rare that it usually happens. So, guys, the name of our show, again, is <laughs> Film Review Weekly. Very simple. We're going to review a film 
weekly. And it's usually going to be one of the biggest films. Uh, our first review is going to be for Eternals, which you guys have already luckily have been able to see. I'm going to actually see tomorrow night uh, as we're recording this. And I can't wait to get to discussion for that. And I think this is a great movie to start our show with because Eternals is dividing audiences. It's dividing critics. And it's a big Marvel movie. It is like what Mar no one has a better track record right now than the MCU. So it's fascinating for me to, for a film like this to have the lowest, I think it's the first rotten yeah. film in the MCU. It's at like 54%, I believe, at this moment. And, you know, that could go up and down by the time we're recording this. But it's crazy. It's crazy to think that this film is really kind of at the bottom of the. And it's hard for me to imagine this is going to be worse than. Thor the Dark World or Iron Man 2 or 3, which I'm not a huge fan of Iron Man 3 because I feel like it's more of a Shane Black movie than it is a Marvel movie. And I'm wondering if Eternals is maybe going to be more of a Chloe movie than it is a Marvel movie. And I think people need to prepare for that when they go in. I think that's something that I love. I think that's why there's... And we'll, we'll definitely get more into it, but I, I think something that this year especially and why i've become more i think jaded is there's move there's been the big um blockbusters that aren't filmmaker driven films and the last four movies i've seen in theaters all four of them have been filmmaker driven films where you can go that is a that is an edgar wright movie that, that is, is a, a ridley, ridley scott, scott movie, movie. that yeah. is, and i have loved that and I think that's something about Eternals and why it's gotten such a divisive feeling is because it is not a Marvel it doesn't feel like a Marvel film it 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 do, it has a filmmaker a a filmmaker driven quality well, to it well it does and we will get more into it next week but my my thought goes back to when Kevin Feige was originally talking about it and how he talked about using the way that Chloe Zhao makes movies to make this movie. She likes to do a lot of in-camera shots rather than doing things post, and she has her own way of doing things that he really liked, but that's obviously going to influence the movie that you get, and so I'm very, very fascinated to be able to break all of that down, but I, I part of me is like, I understand why it's divisive, and the other part of me is like, but I really don't. So it's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see where I land. Uh, and, you know, I used to get Disney screenings pretty early on. Since COVID, there's been a shakeup. So I've just been seeing on Thursday nights. So it's cool to go back and see it with that audience who's, you know, diehard Marvel fans. But I do miss seeing those early screenings and getting to talk to all my friends about it who are critics and are going to these screenings. Once in a while, I get invited by friends, so I sneak in there once in a while. Uh, but So, guys, another thing as well will be us three every week. We will be bringing on a guest. Uh, not every week, but every once in a while, depending on scheduling. We have a lot of friends in the industry. You know, people like Scott Mance. I'd love to get on this show. I'll go into my Schmoes known screen junkie pool. If any of my friends are listening to this, you're probably going to be asked to be on this podcast. So get ready for the emails. I will be texting or emailing some people out there. And, you know, I'd love to get Drew McGuinney on. It all depends on the film sometimes, too. Like somebody, if I know, like Star Wars film is coming out, I don't know when that will be again, but I'm going to hit up Ken Knapsack and be like, you need to come on. We're, we got a Star Wars movie to talk about. Uh, you know, it's just having all these friends in this industry that have loved these kind of genres and movies. It's something we're definitely going to tap into. But again, there's going to be days it's just going to be us three, and I can't wait because I, I, I think we have similar tastes. You know, I read your tweets whenever you walk out of a movie. There's times where I'm like, 
oh man, we are on the same page. And there's other times where I'm like, oh wow, I feel like they saw a different movie than I did. But that's everybody in film and everybody who's a lover of film. It's so subjective in your taste and how you grew up, what movies you watched and what genres you like more. Horror is one of the biggest genres where I know people who are like some of the most snobby film critics, but man, they love them some really bad horror movies, the cheesiest of the cheese. And I just love that. And I love talking about it. And like Wonder Woman 1984, I feel like broke me a little bit. Was it 84 or 87? I don't even remember. Was it, it was 84. Yeah. That movie, like I could have went and talked to a wall for an hour after watching that movie because I was like, what were they thinking? What was happening? What? So many questions I had. And this is going to be therapeutic for me to be able to just jump on this show <laughs> with you guys and work through some of these movies. And like I was a huge fan of Last Duel also. And it bombed at the box office. I mean, that frustrates me. And I want to be able to come on a show like this and be like, what is wrong with you people out there? Get a list. Find a $5 theater. Go see this movie. Ridley Scott is a very old man. He only has so many movies left in him. Hopefully <laughs> hopefully people show up for House of Gucci. Uh, and I hear that movie's like two hours, 45 minutes. I'm hearing. Yeah, I hear it's long. long. It's long. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. I, I already have my father, son, and House of Gucci shirt that I've ordered. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Uh, the that, that Thanksgiving weekend is going to be very interesting yeah, for us, isn't it? I know. It, it is. It's going to be fun. I, whatever Jared Leto is doing in that movie, I am there for it. This, <laughs> I mean, it looks like something out of an SNL sketch, and I think it might be amazing in the worst and best ways possible. I, I said this after we got out of The Last Duel. I loved all of just the accent roulette that was happening in the last duel, and I cannot wait for it in House of Gucci. <laughs> like, I'm so excited. I'm yeah. slightly terrified. <laughs> I'm genuinely terrified. I love how actors kind of match up with directors. Like, Ridley Scott would get two Adam Driver movies in a row. Like, yeah. they must have just really liked working with each other. And I think Adam Driver is one of the best actors we have working today. So I'm so curious to see what different gear he goes in this Gucci movie because he looks like he's doing something completely different than we've seen before. I mean, everybody in the movie looks like they're hamming it up a little bit to 11 and it might be great. It might be a train wreck, <laughs> but I will be there opening night to see it. Yes, yeah, for sure. For dead. sure. And the first trailer dropped, I did my reaction and I was like, this is a hundred percent my brand. It's either going to be so great or it's going to be so bad. It's great because that's like the brand that I'm going for. And he just looks at me and he just shakes his head. Like, yeah. what am I about to get myself into with this movie? Yeah. That's basically where I'm at. I'm <laughs> like, I'm really excited. Cause out of the two, I was more looking forward to last duel. Like that was the Same. one that I was the most looking forward to, but this one just looks like it's going to be the craziest, weirdest, most fascinating movie that we've seen from Ridley Scott in a long time, which is saying something from the guy who directed The Counselor. So yes. that's yeah. a movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, so our, as we said, the real structure of this podcast is going to grow and change. I think as we find our voice and we find what works best for us, for the most part, we will start each episode kind of doing a roundabout of movies we watched recently at home. Maybe could be even some shows. There's a lot of good stuff on Netflix and streaming that isn't even making it to theater. So we'll definitely touch on those things. And then we'll have our feature review where we will go basically start off with our overall thoughts. We'll just give like what we liked about the movie we didn't like in a very vague way. But then we're not going to spend too much time in that because we want to go right into spoilers where we could really dissect the film and say what worked for us, what didn't. So for me, again, this podcast is going to be all about discussion, just really digging into a movie and kind of hearing our thoughts. And 
again, I, for me, it's just hearing what you guys think and what I think and how you could see something completely differently than I do or like how something could work for you and not work for me. And we're going to do a little mini review right here because we both saw a movie last week. I think it was the biggest film for all the film buffs. Uh, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. What did you see? I was hoping to see this in Dolby Theater, and I kind of wish I did, because one thing Edgar Wright does really well is pace, editing, music, cinematography. Like, he really does a great job of creating this energy in his films. Uh, you will go back and watch any of his films, and it has a certain pace to it. Uh, like, you know, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, Baby Driver especially. Uh, Scott Pilgrim's like in our level. It's like a whole nother level. Uh, so we're just going to go right into spoilers out of the gate. So guys, if you haven't seen Last Night in Soho, you can stop here and tune in next week for The Eternals. But if you have, we're going to get right into Last Night in Soho, and then we're going to wrap this up. Again, this is just kind of an introduction podcast, so you guys know where to go next week when this podcast drops for The Eternals. It'll probably come out Monday or Tuesday, depending on how our editing goes. But we will definitely secure a weekly day where you're going to get that podcast every Monday morning, every Tuesday morning, wherever we land on. Uh, overall, I was, a, I, I really was into last night. So I hope for about the first 45 minutes to an hour, then it kind of fell apart for me. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I, uh, go ahead, Jacob. So <laughs> okay, this, uh, this is my favorite movie of the year. Uh, this was one that I walked out of and I haven't, come out of a movie uh, of a theater re just wanting just loving a movie that much and since probably 1917 since wow. like i lo 1917 was my favorite movie of uh 2019 and one of the best films i had seen all decade and i absolutely adored this film i i think what edgar wright has done so well with this is one, it doesn't actually feel... It, it is an Edgar Wright movie. When all the tr all the little things about an Edgar Wright movie are there, but it's also very held back in a lot of the things that kind of annoy me about Edgar Wright. Like, I'm not the biggest Edgar Wright fan. He's very hit and miss for me. Um, this one, I felt, was more him being subtle and pulled back and going, no, I'm going to make... make a movie that resonated for him that he wanted to make that was more classical in its filmmaking approach, more a 60s style movie instead of the fast-paced, quick editing, rapid filmmaking that he is known for today. And I think that that worked really well for it. Uh, I really loved the ideas that it was presenting and the the concept of trauma and the concept of where of what what the film's trying to say about women and nostalgia and the importance of not living in the past of of you know the gra the the grass isn't always greener on the other side it, it of you know the our lives are still it it might seem tough now but 
just because it looked pretty back then, it didn't mean it was. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that he's trying very hard to get across in this movie that it really worked really well for me. And I, I absolutely loved every minute of it. I, I think this is a great movie that will I cannot wait to revisit over and over again. Wow, Taylor. We need to go see it again. Yeah. yeah. Taylor, what were your overall thoughts leaving the theater? So I enjoyed it quite a bit. I didn't really know too much of what to expect going in. Um, I had only watched one trailer that had come out. Um, and then retroactively, I did see the second trailer after we had watched the film. But I think they did a great job with marketing the film. And I think um, anyone who's lucky enough to go into the film not knowing much about it outside of the trailers is going to have a great time because they market it in a way that you don't actually get spoiled of anything that's really going to happen in anything they put out, which I loved so much. There's a moment at the end of the film where everything's supposed to click into place for you if the movie has done its job. Of, of leading you on this journey to get to the end. And Jacob is usually someone who can call exactly what's going to happen about 30 minutes before it's actually going to happen. And this movie was not the case. He, yeah. he got to have that moment that I usually always get to have because I don't call things that are going to happen until you're supposed to most of the time. We both got to have that moment of, oh, wow, that's what this story is and that's what's happening. And the payoff was so great. Um, and, and I think that's why the movie really works for me is that when you get to the payoff that I didn't know what was going to happen with it. And it just feels like you went on that journey. It was it was told so precisely. And, and something that I love in particular about Edgar Wright is how he uses music in his storytelling. He is so great at choosing soundtracks that are not only complete bangers because they are but that sets the perfect tone for the story he wants to tell and telling you who these characters are and and just really setting a good mood um, for really putting you in the mindset that you're supposed to be in. And I think that's absolutely no different with this film. Um, and, and I really just think that it's... It can be delicate material that you're dealing with when it comes, especially especially now, when you're dealing with topics of sensitivity with feminism or with you know murder or with (laughs) just just with things that maybe don't get handled the right way sometimes um and i and i think i've seen some critiques online of of people talking about how (laughs) this movie doesn't work because it's not feminist and and i don't see it that that way at all i think the way that it handles a lot of those storylines i think i think it's done perfectly i i don't think that there's any sort of shaming when it comes mm. to sex workers when it comes to or... sex workers i don't think the movie shames that at all i think the movie shows that back then in the 60s it wasn't something people necessarily chose to do a lot of the time because they enjoyed doing it it was you want to be a singer this is your path whether you like it or not yeah, a... and and really shows that, to me, it shows that back then, no, it was brutal and it was terrible. And if you wanted to be on stage, that was your only route to get there. Whereas now, I think, is it perfect? No, but people can choose that as a profession now. And it doesn't. it's not just you're being forced into doing those things. And I think that's a very delicate topic to try and handle. And I think the film does that 
very well. Um, last thing I'll say is visually, I think this movie is stunning. I think the way that he uses lighting in her bedroom in particular is just fabulous. Loved every second of, of the shooting in that particular room and how lighting was used. Yeah, it's so interesting, Jay, because I'm with you. Like, Edgar Wright is very hit and miss for me. I'm not like somebody who's like, oh my God, Edgar Wright has a new movie coming out. I can't wait to see it. I'm very much, I didn't love Baby Driver. I was not a huge fan of it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked Shaun of the Dead out of his Cornetto trilogy the most. So it was kind of diminishing returns after that first movie. And Scott Pilgrim is probably one of my favorites of his because it's just so over the top and stylized and the cast is fantastic. And I saw it this year when they re-released it in Dolby and I still really enjoyed it. But like, I will never say Edgar Wright is not a talented filmmaker because like you said, Taylor, watching this movie, the way he uses music, the visuals, the camera work, just the tone that he sets was kind of my favorite part of this movie. I'll start off with what I liked about the film because the first 45 minutes I sat there and I said, this might be one of my favorite movies of the year. I am really mm-hmm. digging this. That first time she gets in the bed and pulls the covers and is transported to the 60s, I felt it. I was energized by it. The music, the when she walks into that London street and they're back into the 60s, I was like, this is fantastic. This is like, I feel like I'm being transported to that time period. And to me, Edgar Wright, you could tell this was a film of passion. He's been listening to his records. He's had an idea for this movie since he was very young. I think it took him six years to get it to screens. Like it took him six years to figure out the story. And I would say, I don't think he quite figured out the story completely for me. As I sat there about the 45, 50 minute mark, when she kind of starts going crazy, uh, the movie kind of started falling apart for me. And then the introduction of these kind of faceless gray ghost which were all cg again i have no problem with cg you want to use cg in your movie go for it but it kind of took me out of the movie a little bit and i know this is supposed to be a horror film i was not for one second scared at any point in this movie i was more invested when i was just being brought to the 60s this like romanticizing of it and then as the movie goes on it looks like there's a murder and then i was like oh this is gonna be kind of become like a murder mystery like she's trying to figure out what happened to this girl like who killed him and then there's this whole thing with terrence stamp who's walking around who apparently you think is matt smith and it seemed really clumsily and i it just didn't really work for me on a lot of different levels and i felt myself in the theater thinking to myself oh no this movie is just falling apart the seams for me in a lot of ways i kind of reminded me of it follows uh which is a great horror film and the, the the demons or the ghosts in that movie are actual people who are just standing and it's horrifying. And I think if you wouldn't went that approach instead of having these CGI ghost gray suited men with like weird faces, I think that would have worked better for me. I think that would almost worked against the style that he's using because it's he really romanticizes the sixties and what she's seeing. And I think it would have brought down to earth a little bit. Like no, some horrible things happened back then. Uh, so for me, like that just did not work. And then the twist at the end, I, I understand why you didn't see it coming, Jacob, because they don't do anything to give you any clues that it turned throughout the movie. Like there's no real breadcrumbs. Like when you watch The Sixth Sense, there's you go back and watch that movie, there's so many breadcrumbs for you to follow and be like, oh my God, that's where the twist was coming. Did is Do you feel like there was anything leading up to the twist that you were like, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Okay, um, let's hear it. The, the, I think the pivotal scene in the movie, and you brought this up, the, Taylor, you brought this up the other day. I think the most pivotal scene in the film is when she's given the drink 
by the girls in at the bar when she's given the drink. Um, you asked. You you asked. Do you do you think the drink was drugged? I said at any point in the movie, do you think she was ever drugged? Because they bring it up at the police station, kind of as like a you know as police do if someone comes in with a crazy story. But that wasn't what I was talking about. I was talking about at the Halloween party when she runs into her old roommates yeah, and they hand her a drink, but they look very suspicious about the drink that they're handing her. And she almost looks like she's questioning if she should drink it or not. And then I was like, I think that because a flip gets switched with her behavior, where all of a sudden, like the visions she's having crack almost Mm -hmm. like they're very different. All of a sudden I go, I think it's because she was drugged. And so we're, she's, seeing something outside of what she normally sees and that's kind of the trigger of where it all shifts and you were like oh that and to me that that explains why one she saw matt smith murder mm-hmm. because that expl- because the the to me the story is saying that the go the 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 dead men are trying to apo- apologize and make amends for their mistakes and yes. that they they acknowledge that what they did was awful, and they are try- and they are trying to make the am- amends for it. I think that that scene in the movie is the most pivotal one in the movie, and it's when you're meant it's it's when you're first meant to get the hint that she could do it is because she comes running in. I will kill him. I like I, and it's not you, you. Don't take it as a joke. You don't take it as a oh, hang on. It, like she's she's kind of like um. You know, it's kind of a oh ha ha. She'll kill him next time. She no next time she sees him, she will kill him. And that's when I think you're meant to start figuring it out. And I think her being drugged is the moment in the movie where you start questioning all of her visions, and she start and be, because they're not her normal visions, because her she's been drugged, and that's what's causing her to have moments that are that aren't. The, the normal visions that she gets. So to me, I, I hear what you're saying. It sounds messy to me because we're brought into this world in the very beginning. We're given no explanation why. We're given some mm. hints that her mother had mental history. Like she comes from a family that has had mental psychosis or some sort of condition. So are you, the weird part for me is like, there's a point in the movie where I said, okay, is all this fake and it's in her head? Is she going crazy? And I think Edgar Wright wants to put that seed of doubt in your brain. But then the movie finishes, no, she's not crazy. This was all really happening. These ghosts made it sound like to me the ghosts were like, we need you to kill this lady because she killed us. Like when they all kind of stormed her and are chasing her, she's running through the streets like a mad woman. And it's like, what like, what are these ghosts trying to do? Are they haunting her? Are they saying, go take out this old lady because that's her? Like I, I thought it was really difficult to kind of figure out what these ghosts wanted, what they wanted her to do. And, like, why is she being brought into this time period? Why is she having these visions? There's so many scenarios, but no one is really given throughout the film. What was your take on it? I, I think that it's it's the ghosts trying to explain what they did and that and because and then trying to make amends so that they can have their so so that they can have their peace, essentially. And that because one, she still hasn't had felt hasn't doesn't have her peace, which you get when she's explaining 
the mm-hmm. at the end and when she stays in the burning building is because she's acknowledging her her crimes but then there's also the ghosts going no we what we did was terrible and horrible we need to we need to make our amends we need you to understand what we did not so that you can kill her but so that you can let her let us go and how would she let him go do you, was, it, was it by uh, by breaking her story to the world, like telling yeah, everybody by this like, was a murder? I, I think by acknowledge by I think it's her letting them go by acknowledging that what they did was terrible and that and that to basically allow someone to forgive her for killing these men. Yeah, that's interesting because and that's I, what no, go ahead. and that's what she does at the end of the film. She she forgives her. She she says, "I understand why you did this." I. I I get why you did this. But which is interesting to me because I thought maybe there'd be some sympathy for the Anna Taylor Joy character. But she is basically a serial killer at the end of this movie. She tries to kill our main protagonist. She even stabs her, you know, lovesick boyfriend in the, in the stomach. And then to me, it was almost like, okay, well, I want to have some sympathy for this woman. She's an older lady. She's killed all the people, but she killed these people because of what she was put through. But now she's trying to kill this young girl who saw these visions because she's worried she's going to rat her out and put her in jail. It's like, she basically was like, I don't want the cops coming here and finding the bodies. So she literally point, I think she poisons her at the end. It seemed like she, she was put something in her drink to make her so she could barely walk. And she literally was going to kill this lady. So it's like, I, I see what you're saying with the guys wanting to be forgiven, but at the same time, it's like, I would have liked a little bit more sympathy for the old Anna Taylor Joy, who turns out to be not just like a serial killer. She really is played like a person you're supposed to fear at the end of this film. And I know she just kind of sits down and catches on fire. And I maybe she just accepts it. Like, she's that old. She's like, oh, I'm done. Uh, just let me go. I'm not going to jail. Uh, so for me, it was just a little bit of a mixed message. It's like, am I supposed to feel for Anna Taylor Joy? Am I supposed to feel for these guys who did this horrible thing to her? So for me, some of the themes and some of the things Edgar Wright was saying, just they're kind of crossing wires. I wasn't quite sure how to feel at the end of the day. And again, this is just me watching the movie no, once. I can appreciate that. I'd love to watch it again with what you've said and try to, you know, see maybe a different angle. So so for my thing with the story is when I when I think about what it's trying to say, to me, the catalyst of all of this is Thomas and Mackenzie's character moving into that room and moving into that room then connects her unknowingly to this world. I think part of it is because at the beginning of the film, we see, you know, that she sees her mother in the mirrors. Like we already are introduced to the fact that maybe she has a connection to something like what that's already planted for us. Then she goes to this room where to me throughout the years, this room has been trying to connect with somebody to get this story out. Because as far as we know, nobody knows that all these berries bodies are buried in this house. Nobody actually knows what happened to these men, which is supported by the library scene where she's flicking through all these articles. uh, And nobody actually knows how these men disappeared or what happened to them. So to me, she's pulled into this world to be introduced to this story so that it finally actually gets solved by somebody. But because she's so romanticized by the 60s, 
she gets very distracted. You know, she falls in love with this era and she's distracted by the fashion because she's a fashion designer. And that's that's kind of the point you were making where you romanticize the past and you romanticize all these ideas and, and she gets caught up in all of that. And then the story that the room or the ghosts or however you want to frame it is actually trying to tell her. She starts to get pulled into the horror element of oh, there's some shady stuff happening here. Mm. Like this this romantic image I have of this woman and the life she's trying to live is not what's happening. And then she gets pulled into this and you start to get that idea of, oh, is the older guy that's following her around, is that Matt Smith? Is that the same guy? And that's what the story kind of wants you to believe. And then you realize, oh... No, he's the cop that's been trying to solve this story, but also not solve this story because he sees the horrors that she went through. Yeah. So part of him as the cop wants to solve the story. That part the did human not play part for of, me. The, the, the human part of him who sees what she goes through sitting with her in that club. Yeah, when he's in the club. He's very conflicted as a character, which uh, I understand because I felt conflicted as well where you're like yeah she's obviously killing all of these men which was the catalyst of that was how she gets treated by men like this and and that's yeah did the terrence stamp matt smith kind of fake out work for you guys because like oh, he I gets it was great he gets hit yeah, by the car I, and i'm like wait wait who is he was the cop i didn't even remember the cop from earlier i was like they actually had to show you who he was i was like what's happening here that worked. That worked for me. That, yeah, that, that I was definitely immediately. I was like, oh, wow. oh no. Yeah, that that worked for me because that to me goes, oh, okay. So the cop was he 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 knew. To me, he knew that 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 these men were disappearing, but he could never prove it. And he and I and I believe he he knew that it was her, but he never had any proof. And he also didn't try to look that hard for proof because again, he was very protective when he, when he's talking to Eloise, I think it's at the bar and he's like, I did everything I could to protect these girls. And you think it's Matt Smith at the time yeah. where he, you know, is a scumbag who believes he was protecting these girls. But when you realize it's the cop and he said, I did everything I could to protect these girls. I think he's specifically talking about Anya Taylor joys character where he's like, I did everything I could to protect her. And it kind of eats him up knowing <laughs> that she did these things. Because he also, he also says, you know, she's not who you think she is. Mm -hmm. Anya Taylor-Joy is not the woman you think she is. And, and so I think he's very conflicted of, I have a job to do, but also like... And I think it ate him up for a long time. Mm -hmm. But that's just how I read the story. Huh. Yeah, there's a lot of... Like, it's one of those movies, I guess for me, hearing what you guys explained... Like I wish I got all that in the first viewing, but there were times where it just felt kind of, kind of like a mess. To no, me. and that, yeah, yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Like I can appreciate that there are some things here that are a little bit messy that that maybe don't work for a lot of people, and I can and I, I can understand why some people would be like, ah, uh, this didn't really work for me, especially from hearing from you and how you're explaining it. This film just really worked for me, and I just I, I got the experience in the movie theater that I wanted and that 
I think Edgar Wright wanted an or- the audience to have, and it, it worked for me a hundred percent. So, uh, and I, I really, th- I thoroughly loved this movie. I was so surprised. I was so surprised because you're not normally an Edgar Wright. I'm usually the Edgar Wright person yeah. of the house. Really? So I was, I was very, very surprised by your reaction to this movie. Uh, yeah. And you're not this. alone. I've heard several people saying this will be in my top ten list by end of the year. So, like, there's some people that absolutely love this film. And, again, I think he's making a film that is a callback to the films he watched growing up, especially some Italian horror films. Um, So, for me, it's a very interesting film. Edgar Wright, like Tarantino, is someone who really grabs and does a lot of homages to his favorite things that he watched growing up. And he loves kind of celebrating film through his films. I mean, the Cornell trilogy is just his take on three different genres of films. Zombie. End of the world, you know, a, a horror film, kind of like Scream. So for me, it's like this was his way of doing that. And I think if you watch it through that lens, I think it makes a little bit more sense. And the style, again, I the first hour, the first time she goes to the 60s, I was just like, I am completely transported into this world. And I am loving being in this time period with this music. The music almost plays throughout the whole movie in the background. Like, it is like... Hit, hit banger after banger after banger from the 60s like i want to get the soundtrack for this movie because i was just loving the music throughout i will say this the last thing i'll say is the one last thing that didn't really work for me her love interest her friend <laughs> who's like got a crush on her bro at some point you just gotta walk away the girl's about to stab people in the face <laughs> he's about to stay she's about to stab somebody in the face he's like are you okay How, i'm like Dude, you, you know, you've been on a real date. You've been on one date with this girl. Like, the stuff this poor boy had went through for this woman, <laughs> it was like, give up, bro. Just, you know, come on, man. Find another girl in the school. This girl is insane. Everything she did was insane. From the, you know, people looking at outside would see this and be like, stay away from that girl. She needs to go to the hospital. She literally gets this close to stabbing somebody in the face with a knife. He stops her. And he chases after fair, her. To be to be fair, if you actually know that girl, you'd want to stab her. As well. You don't. You don't have to be. You don't no, have but, to be uh, drunk. To but I also stab think he girl. knew. He knew that she was going. Something was going on. So she. He was protective. Again, it, it, it was. It, it's him coming in and being protective. So I. I, yeah. I have a suspension of disbelief with that kind of stuff. I'm like romance. Absolutely. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. I'm trying to remember. Sounds he didn't great. die. He survived because he was in the crowd yeah, at the very end. The, yeah, because he, he was. He was at the fashion show at the very end. Yeah. Which I mean, I, and it's and I'm glad this movie has a happy ending. Me too. I I, I think if it didn't, mm-hmm. I don't think it would work for me. Like I think I'd be. I, I would just be cold afterwards and just be like, I don't, I don't think the end, I don't think the the message of grass is always greener somewhere else mm-hmm. would work if it didn't have if it if it had the she dies at the end message. Uh, I, I think if or like ending, I think if she if she was killed at the end or the boyfriend was killed or I I think it needed to have the it it needed to be grounded in you know the grass isn't always greener. Like you can find happiness in the world that you are currently in right now. You don't need to go to the sixties to be happy. And I think that message gets muddled. If the ending is just like, well, and they all died in a house fire. Good night, everybody. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Interesting take. So for me, this is definitely a film. I will revisit again, because like I said, I love the first hour kind of fell apart for me in the second, but I'm always opening to a film like this. Like, 
unlike Jungle Cruise, which I will never watch again, uh, <laughs> I will actually go back and give this movie another chance. And again, even if it doesn't work for me in the second half as much, I can still enjoy the hell out of that first hour and that yeah. first time she goes to the 60s. I mean, the cast is fantastic. And Taylor Joy, we didn't really talk much about the cast, but they're uniformly great. I thought... Oh, yeah. Uh, Thomas McKenzie, is that her name? Yeah. Yes, Thomas I th- and McKenzie. Thomas yeah. and McKenzie. I thought she was really good in this. I loved her in Jojo Rabbit. I think yes. to me, like this for her, you know, is definitely a more adult role. It's kind of her coming into her own. But at times, her performance was a little over the top for me, and it was like little. She's half the, the last half of this movie. She's just running around a lot <laughs> through the streets, through the school. It's like, man, just a lot of running in this movie. She's just kind of freaking out. Uh, so I need to go back and watch it for that case. But so. For me, guys, it's kind of a mixed bag. There's things that I appreciate in the film. Um, but overall, if you're an Edgar Wright fan or if you're a fan of these actors and if you like to be transported to another time and place, I think Edgar Wright nails that in this film. Uh, go ahead. Give your last final thoughts on the film, guys. It's my favorite film of the year. Uh, it probably won't end up being it by the end of the year. I mean, just because i think we're gonna we have still some, got a we lot still got a lot coming. of really great yeah. movies that i'm looking forward to but uh this was this was a incredible time at the movies uh make sure you go in as blind as you can so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it yet i'm sorry i'm apologizing because i do i do think i i do think that this is a movie that you do need to not know anything going in i don't think it will work quite as well if you don't get the the reveals when you're meant to get the reveals. I don't think that the film will work quite as well. Um, but I do also, I, I, I think this is my favorite Edgar Wright movie. And I think this is him again, just to direct his showpiece. And I adore filmmaker driven um, films at the moment. So yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this one. It's like I said, it's in my top, top tier of movies we've seen this year so far. Uh, the cast was really just magnetic to me in this movie. I think that he transports you to all the places. Edgar Wright transports you to all the places you're supposed to go. I think stylistically the movie works very well. I do th- agree with what you said earlier, Jacob, where it's, it is Edgar Wright, but it does feel like he's pulled back a lot of the things that he uses overly a lot of the time. That There wasn't a lot of super fast editing there wasn't a lot of just things that maybe you see in most Edgar Wright films it was it was really scaled back in a way that I think serves the story very well um and and I really do think that this shows us just his passion in a way that I don't know if we've ever seen before where he he clearly has this story he's wanted to tell for such a long time and has put so much into it and for me it it really really pays off all right, guys. Well, this was your preview of what is to come. Uh, film Review Weekly. That is the name of the show. It will be a weekly show. We review the newest films. We're going to start with our premiere episode, which will be Eternals. That will be dropping at the beginning of next week. Uh, no guests for that episode. It's our first episode, so we're just going to be us three talking through the film. And we'll go over some other stuff. And you guys will get an idea of the structure of the show is going to be. But we just want to get this out there for you guys to kind of put you on, put, put us on the radar Get ready for our first episode and, you know, just get excited about talking about movies and, you know, hearing really good discussions about what works, what doesn't work in film. I'm excited for this show. I'm excited to have an outlet to just really dig into these films. And 
I can't wait till there's a movie where we just absolutely hate, and I can't wait till there's a movie we just absolutely love, because I love the extremes. It's always more interesting to talk about something you really love and something you really hate. The in-between movies are the ones that you know are kind of like, oh, Venom, Venom 2 was nah. okay for some people. <laughs> but... I don't know how you guys about Venom 2. For me, it was... I haven't seen it yet. Oh, yeah, we wow. We haven't been able to see it yet. Well, there you go. Yet. I can't wait to hear what you guys think about that one. Uh, so uh, It will be my last movie before I come to the States. It will be the last movie I get to see. It's my last screener. Yeah, it comes out the day we leave. So Set yeah. your expectations low. I mean, oh, did you like I... did you like the first one? Nope. Yeah, okay. So I would say that this one's on par with the first. And honestly, the first one might have been a little better. So prepare mm, for that. Great. Uh, all right, guys. So you could find us on, I believe, Spotify, iTunes. What other yep. sites can people find Absolutely us? Absolutely everywhere. It will, we will be there. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter. You'll see our links. We'll tweet out the show every time we put out a new episode. My Twitter is at JTE Movie Thinks. Go ahead, guys. Give your tweets. Uh, my Twitter is at Jacob London. Just my name at Twitter on Twitter, and same with Letterbox and everywhere else. Everywhere on the internet. Yeah. Mine is at finally tailored everywhere on the internet as well. So. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm at JT Movie Things Everywhere. Just easy. Cross the board. You can find us everywhere. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. Guys, thanks for the discussion. And we will see you next week with Eternals, the uh, almost three-hour epic, which is going to break the MCU, apparently. <laughs>